All right, are we all ready? Now I gotta remember what I say. <laughs> Hey, welcome to HR Wonder Women with Wendy and Anne. This is Tamara Raspberry, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the first installment of HR Wonder Women for 2019. Uh, Wendy Daly and Anne Tompkinson here to kick off another year, and we are super excited to uh, kick off with Tamara Raspberry this time uh, for the month of January. Super excited about that. Um, Anne and uh, Tamara both hail from DC right now. And uh, you guys got to hang out at the DNI conference last year. Is that right? Yes, we did. We only hang out when we're not actually in DC. <laughs> Tamara is right. That's kind of our thing. We live about 15 minutes away from each other and we see each other at out of state conferences. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm super excited to get this kicked off for 2019. So I will turn it over to Anne for our introductions. Great. Thank you, Wendy. And I will say that Tamara and I do occasionally see each other locally. We are both um, active in the DC SHRM, our local chapter, which is where we first met. So let me tell you a little bit about Tamara. I'm so excited that she's on the show with us tonight. Uh, Tamara Raspberry, SHRM CP, PHR, is the Principal HR Consultant for Raspberry Consulting, LLC, and currently serves as the HR Manager for a national nonprofit organization. Her 15-plus years of HR and nonprofit experience have included in-house and consultant roles with nonprofit organizations of all sizes in the D.C. metropolitan area. Tamara is an active member of the Society for Human Resource Management, SHRM, and has previously held multiple chair positions with her local chapter, DC SHRM. She is passionate about going beyond representational diversity to creating inclusive workplaces and putting people first. She is also a fierce advocate for addressing mental health issues in the workplace and destigmatizing mental illness. Tamara can be found on LinkedIn, Twitter at TM Raspberry and writes a blog on HR and life at TamaraRaspberry.com. So I'm going to Tamara jump in. Tamara and Raspberry. Tamara <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't read. Apparently I am so sorry. <laughs> now I'm going to jump right into questions and we will put the actual um, web addresses in the show notes so people will see it yep. correctly. Okay. So Jumping into our questions, Tamara, uh, mm -hmm. it, last year in October, uh, we were both at the SHRM DNI conference. Talk to us a little bit about that. What was the most impactful moment of your time there? I would say the most impactful moment, it seemed to me like last year's conference had a lot of sessions on transgender employees and the things that we can do to make our workplaces um, inclusive for people who are transgender or going through transition and things of that nature. So um, what was really impactful for me during that conference was getting that feedback from people who are actually going through that day-to-day, -day, living their lives, um, realizing that they wanted to go through transition and then telling us how we should treat them, the types of things we should say and shouldn't say, should do and shouldn't do. And you know, you always feel like you're fairly well-versed or at least know how to not be discriminatory, but it's always good to hear firsthand accounts of, okay, this is what makes me uncomfortable. This is what makes a lot of my people that I know uncomfortable. 
this is how you can help us in the workplace. And so that was really good for me. I, I like that hearing it directly from them and, and how to talk about those things in, in any, um, any group that is underrepresented. I think hearing directly from them um, uh, what, how to just address them. And that's one of the reasons that Ann and I decided to keep this little um, side, pod, side podcast going because of that. And so that segues into um, some of the stuff you've written about is the importance of words, um, that the words we use matter. Um, and one of the things that you wrote about was the difference between terminating employment rather than terminating an employee, as an example. Right. So what are some of the ways that we in HR can be sensitive about language and help educate people without becoming the language police? I think it goes beyond us in HR and just us as human beings, how we speak to people in general and the words that we use in general and making sure that when we speak to people, we are addressing them as individuals and not as a certain adjective or a certain part about them. It's just like um, how when, you, when we talk about coaching and we say address the behavior, not the individual, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. how you speak, the words that you use impacts how someone is going to receive your message. So I think if we go beyond thinking about, well, how should we say this because we're in a jar and just think about how should we talk to people in general, that will take us farther. Yeah, no, I really like that. Just thinking about being a person talking to a person and really seeing that person and making sure that they know that they're seen. Exactly. Um, Mm-hmm. Which which kind of goes right into the next the next question. Um, <laughs> you're, this is going very smoothly. Uh, <laughs> shortly after the DNI conference um, in October, you wrote a blog about creating safe places, safe spaces for people to talk to us, and it yeah. was certainly written for HR at that point, right? And and in HR, we need to make sure that. Um, we're not the barrier that people feel like they can come and share their stuff with us because we mm-hmm. can't do our job of um, protecting people and making things right for people if we don't create a safe space for them to share with us to begin with. Um, you've also written before about the need to be more open in society about mental health issues that so many people face. Um, your bio even said you're a fierce advocate. What are some tangible kinds of things that HR can do to create safe environments so that employees who do have mental illness get the support that they need in the workplace? I think one of the things that we need to do is, um, like say for example, when we're going through benefits enrollment, when we're, when we're finding or um, selecting benefits providers or vendors, um, looking not only at you know how much it's gonna cost the organization and things like that, but also, what types of providers they have, do they cover mental illness, um, are therapists covered, or how much would employees have to pay out of pocket? Because a lot of times I think we focus on the physical health benefits and of course mm-hmm. the financial impact to the organization, but I also like to make sure, okay, is mental health covered? Because I don't want anyone to have to feel like um, the cost is a detriment to them receiving access. Um, so I like to try to make sure that that's covered under our insurance plans. 
I also speak freely about mental health issues. I have posters in my office speaking about, you know, one in five individuals in America suffers from some type of a mental health issue, things like that, so that it's open, so that people feel like, you know, if anything, I can talk to Tamara about this if I can't talk to anyone else, but I want to make it so that I'm not necessarily the only person they can talk to, but if I am the only person, at least I'm, they know that I'm that person. And, you know, just this, I just like to make it a part of regular conversation. I don't, um, I don't only talk about it during Mental Health Awareness Month or week, you know, I talk about it all the time. And I think the more we have those open conversations, the more people feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, no, that makes that makes so much sense. And, and I'm guessing, too, that when you're looking at, like, just thinking about selecting benefits and looking at that, then when you're sharing during open enrollment about what the plans offer, you're not just waiting for somebody to sort of quietly come up and say, but what about mental right. illness or what about yeah. therapy that you're just saying? And like, this is what the copay is for an emergency room visit. And this is what the copay covers for uh, mental health visits. And this is and just putting it right out there, right? Right, because someone is not always going to ask. And if they don't ask, it doesn't mean that it's not covered, but um, they might not realize it if they're just waiting. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes people just aren't comfortable asking. So I think it's very important to put it out there the same way that you put, you know, your uh, prescription copay is going to be $20. You put everything else out there too, so that people are aware. Well, and, you know, we can't wait for people to ask if we, right. and if we put it out there and we make it normal, right. that, you know, we, and that's what so much of this is. And, and if we're, if we think it, if we put it out there as a normal thing, then people are going to be more comfortable talking about it. And that's what we need to have is exactly get people comfortable about talking about those things. Because needing to see a therapist is no different than needing to go to the emergency room. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Right. Definitely. Um, and another thing, so we're going to stay on this health um, topic a little bit, <laughs> which is great. I love talking about this. Um, you know, you're passionate about addressing the health disparities that people of color experience. Um, what are some things that we can do in HR or what should we be doing in HR um, to help that? That's a good question, Wendy. I'm not even sure that it's an issue that HR would be able to address in general because it's a systemic issue. Mm -hmm. um, it's not even something that would be based on, you know, the benefit provider that you use or your organization. It's based on just the, the attitudes and the behaviors of certain uh, medical providers and, and the things that they're taught and not taught when they're going through school and the biases that they have, you know, it's just, it's really deep. So I'm not sure that it's something that we, quote unquote, as HR professionals could deal with. But one thing that I do know is that if I had an employee come to me and say that they've experienced some type of a discrimination from a provider, you know, I would make sure that I dealt with it. I would make sure that I reached out to my vendor and, you know, had a conversation mm -hmm. about it. But other so, than that, I'm, I'm really not sure. So what can we just as people do? Like, never mind yeah. that we're in HR. What can we yeah. as people be doing about an issue that's this deep and this systemic? How do we, how do we disrupt that system? 
I think it really comes down to talking about it because I know that there are a lot of things that happen to people of color that a lot of non-people of color aren't aware of. And it's not that they're okay with it or they, you know, they would think it was right. It's that they just don't realize that it happens. So the more that we share these stories and, you know, talk about it, whether it's with our peers, our colleagues, on social media, et cetera, then people will know that it's happening. And when people know that it's happening, it makes it easier to address. But it still has to be addressed kind of from a top level down. It has to be addressed in your medical schools. It has to be addressed in your hospitals, et cetera. But I think it's important that we're all aware that these types of things are going on and are not just like bearing our head in the sand and feeling like it doesn't happen because it's not happening to you. Right. Yeah. Awareness is so huge. Which I think gets, so well, actually it kind of leads us into the next question. Um, but it gets, <laughs> because I think it's, it's, it's beyond health disparities, right? It's, yeah. We, yeah. We need, uh, you know, the, the stories that people of color and other underrepresented people groups experience need to be brought into the general consciousness of society right and believed and and then treated as the 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 wrong reality that exists if it's ever going to change so you know it's important that all kinds of stories get shared and health disparities are are one of those um Exactly. I also think it's important to make sure that um, when we were talking about safe spaces before in regards to like addressing mental illness, safe spaces in general, because I feel like one thing that a lot of organizations make a huge mistake in is feeling that people, things that are happening to people outside of the workplace shut off as soon as they cross the threshold of work. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. So we have to make it so that our employees can feel comfortable talking about, you know, um, discrimination, you know, things that are happening with the police, things that are happening in the legal system, the medical system, that, you know, all these types of things, because these things impact us as people. Right. You know, employees yeah. are people. They're not just employees. So these things don't turn off when we come through the door of the office. We forget yeah. that a lot, don't we? Well, because we get, I think, so focused on the areas that we can control that we forget that people come in with all sorts of stuff that maybe we can't control, but we have to acknowledge and understand that it's part of, you know, the, the whole idea that we want people to bring their full authentic selves to work. Yeah. We have to understand that their full authentic selves has a whole life outside of the building. Exactly. Like if I get pulled over by the cops and I'm scared for my life and this happens on my way to work, that's going to affect how I am at work the rest of the day. Oh, yeah. 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 And you, you have to be able to talk about it and it has to be acknowledged that it's a real thing that actually happened to you mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, in order for you to feel supported at all by your organization. Right. So, so we've talked a lot about what we as HR can be doing within our organizations. How can we create safe spaces? How can we, um, you know, keep mental health front of mind, choosing vendors, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you and I, um, when, when we were in Atlanta for the DNI conference, certainly not in our own neighborhood right here, uh, 
we had lunch together and we were talking mm -hmm. and you mentioned, you said um, that there's a difference between centering the voices of people of color and expecting them to do the heavy lifting. So what lift could your, could HR colleagues be doing for each other to support HR practitioners of color? Sarah Morgan has talked about how um, HR in general is filled with women and people of color. So mm -hmm. a whole lot of unrepresented groups, underrepresented mm -hmm. groups. Absolutely. What can we be doing though? Like those of us who have more privilege, what can we be doing to do that heavy lifting for the HR profession? Oh, what I think of when I think of that is, you know, we talk about all of these conferences and seminars and groups of influencers, et cetera, et cetera, that are really wholly focused on, um, I don't, know, I don't know if I'm allowed to say white people, white people. Uh, you are absolutely allowed say to say white people. Yeah. We can, if we have to dance around the language, nothing is ever going to change. Exactly. Um, that are wholly focused, you know, even I was talking to a colleague of mine the other day who's not even in HR, and she was telling me that she, in her field, she's gone to, you know, diversity seminars where everybody on the panel was all white, all white males, you know, so that's mm -hmm. like, where when you talk about the people who have the privilege or the people who are being addressed, making sure that they then open up the door for someone else and say, you know, great. Um, thank you so much for inviting me to this. I appreciate it. However, I think this person would either be a great addition to the panel or would be a better person to speak about this issue, you know? like not being afraid, like not living in your ego to the point where you're the only, you feel like you're the only person who can talk about something um, and opening it up and realizing that there's other people who can talk about different topics and, you know, bringing those people to the attention of the people who are putting these different events together. And I also think that when we talk about the heavy lifting, one of the things that we talk about as you know, black people in general, people of color. I really, I'm really not fond of saying people of color because I mm -hmm. feel like it's very broad. I really just like, you know, say what the people are. Um, but I think one of the things that we deal with in general is expecting to be the representative of our group or have all the answers for our group and teach people how to treat us, you know, or, mm -hmm. or have all the answers without people taking the time to kind of find things out for themselves. And actually, um, you guys know Victoria Milian. He mm -hmm. had a very, very great post on Facebook the other day about this topic, about not being expected to be the representative person to give all the answers about what it's like to be a person of color. However, not having an issue if someone comes to you and says, hey, I have a question about this. Do you mind asking, you know, answering this question or whatever, but just not it being that expectation that, okay, you're a member of this group. So, you know, so you know what I'm saying? Be, yeah. my, be my answer person. Like I'm it's, go it's a the... lot of weight. It's a lot of, you know, stress on people. We have enough stress. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking about this. I read, um, I read an article the other day by um, a, a woman with an invisible disability mm -hmm. in tech. And she was just mm -hmm. talking about how like, there's so much negotiating to do 
to get accommodations that she needs, that then she feels like she's used up all of her social capital. And then it's hard to ask for like a raise or whatever. And I was just thinking, right, when you have to use so much social capital just to negotiate for the things that bring you any sort of equity, right? then it's hard to then go beyond that and say, well, I want that promotion or I want that raise or I want that extra that somebody who doesn't have to spend their social capital on right. just getting to, to equity gets to do so much more easily. Oh my goodness. That's so true. That's so true. And I think we have to, we have to work on that as, as practitioners. A lot of this stuff has to do with, you know, organizational culture mm-hmm. and, and how we're making people feel because I, no one should feel like they can't ask for a raise or a promotion that they rightfully deserve because they've also had to ask for this other thing. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, but, but I think it's, it takes leadership um, to make sure that people don't feel that way. Agreed. We, we I can't. Like a lot of times leadership does not walk the talk. You know, leadership likes to say, oh, we're a great place to work. We're diverse. We're, we treat people great. But then when it comes down to someone actually needing something, it becomes a problem. No, I, I agree with that completely. It's, we have to, and we have to stop waiting. I, I think we have to stop rewarding and, um, or asking, making people ask for those things as an organization, we should be watching and recognizing the people that are making those contributions. They shouldn't have to ask for them. Right. I so agree. I so agree. Yeah. Because everyone is not even comfortable. That's another thing we come down to, you know, talking about, you know, women and people of color historically are not great at negotiating or asking Mm -hmm or pay or asking for raises and things like that. And it doesn't mean that they don't deserve them, but if you leave it up to someone to ask for it, they may yeah. never get what they deserve. Yeah. It was, um, Kate Bishop had a, um, it was earlier this week. She had a webinar on 2019, what to be aware of for employment law and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that she recommended is we stop negotiating salary as employers. We just come in and say, this is what we're going to offer. You don't get rewarded because you're better at negotiating than this other person. Yes. So I was, yeah, I said, that is, that's good. And, and we can do that as employers to say, you know, nope, sorry, we don't, we don't negotiate. This is just how it is. And if you don't like it, you don't have to work for us. Um, But you're going to have much better job keeping up with pay equity if you don't allow the good negotiators to get more money. Exactly. Although when you're doing that, you sure have to be careful about the unconscious bias as you're determining what you're going to pay somebody. Yes. No. And it has to, you know, and that's one of the things she talked about too, is, you know, you need to be say, you know, an engineer with this amount of experience Mm -hmm. gets this wage. It's just regardless. Yeah. Regardless. Mm -hmm. Um, so that you can eliminate some of those. So it was, it was really, well, and it's Kate. So she, <laughs> she always does a great job, but it would just, it was, it was exactly what it's like. Yes. Cause I am horrible at negotiating that. It's just not my forte. Right. Yeah. No, All right. That. I don't, I think it's wholly unfair for someone, you know, because sometimes it's not even the person that's the, that's a better 
candidate. A person could have yeah. less experience, but can talk a good game. So, yeah. you know, so now they get an extra $30,000 because mm -hmm. they, you know. Because they're good at it. Oh. <laughs> Well, Tamara, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of the HR Social Hour and the <laughs> HR Wonder Women, but our question connection. Woo! And of course, here we have our own special twist on it, um, but we always love to talk. We are, we're trying to connect people here, so we need to know how has networking helped you in your career and what's been really effective for you? Oh my goodness, networking has been tremendous for me. And to be honest, networking has helped me less in my career per se, and more so just as um, a professional in the field in general. So, um, because it's connected me to lots of lots of really talented people, such as such as yourself, mm -hmm. um, that I never would have met otherwise. You know, yeah, um, like so many people that I can't imagine what it would be like right now for me if I hadn't met them you know, to bounce ideas off of, to just talk about different things that are going on in the field and things of that nature. So that's how networking has really helped me the most. Just have, just meeting people and, and having people to, to bounce different ideas off of and connect with. And as far as what's been really effective for me, I'd have to say social media is my thing. Okay? <laughs> I am... I am an introvert off the scale. So I am not a person who is going to go around and walk up and talk to a lot of people off the bat, but on social media, I'm in it. Yeah. And so it helps me because then when I go to different um, events, I have already established these connections with people on social media. So it's easier for me to talk to them in person when I finally meet them. So yeah, Twitter is life as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> oh yeah that is awesome and you'll get no argument from wendy or myself nope <laughs> um, so tell us tell us some women that you read or follow for professional insights oh well definitely someone you've mentioned already sarah morgan mm -hmm. she's amazing she's so yes, she is. you know just straight to the point I love it. She has no beat around the bush in her veins. <laughs> like, this is what it is. And I love it. I would also probably say Margaret Spence, who I actually mm -hmm. was introduced to through Anne. Because Anne had oh, awesome. her. And so I started looking her up. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I like this lady. She's, she puts out a lot of good information on LinkedIn. She does. She is just mm -hmm. awesome. I think those are probably the two most that I read because to be honest with you, I don't read a lot of blogs and things like that. I really spend probably 90% of my time online on Twitter. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's fair. That jump out at me is like, yeah, I definitely make sure when I see something come from them, I, I perk up and I read it. They've got good stuff. All right. Uh, favorite movie that features a strong female cast? <laughs> um, okay, so well, my favorite movie, period, is Imitation of Life. One of my favorite movies. And there are strong females in it, but it's not an all-female cast. So I think I would say probably, like, set it off. Oh, I don't know if I've ever heard of that. 
I am not familiar with it myself. Set it off. It's basically these four women who rob a bank. It's really dramatic. Oh, <laughs> oh interesting. <laughs> we'll have to check it out. We will. Check it out. Yeah, we will. <laughs> so what about a favorite female musician or band? Oh, my favorite female musician of all time is, is absolutely Mary J. Blige. Oh. <laughs> I need some MJB. Okay. Okay, when nobody says. Oh, I feel like awesome. Has somebody else mentioned her before? I don't think so. I don't no. think we've had Mary J. yet. Um, okay. Uh, so she's come up in conversation with somebody in my life recently, but apparently mm -hmm. not on this podcast. I think somebody brought up Missy Elliott, but not mm. Mary J. Yeah. Mary J. has come up somewhere else in my life recently. <laughs> As she should. As she should. As she should. As she should. <laughs> yes. On my right, Christmas playlist. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to switch this, this next one up just a little bit. But um, your favorite fictional female character can be a book, can be in a movie, can be a TV show. Oh, that's a good one. Favorite fictional yeah. female character. Oh, <laughs> this is going to be so random and obscure. <laughs> But there's a show called Zira. And okay, it's like a British mystery show. I watch a lot of British mysteries. <laughs> it's called Vera. And so she's the lead yeah. detective on the show. She's really, you know, she's really like dry, but she's really smart. Like, you know, <laughs> she just awesome. has that combination of like a weird, you know, like you have that person at work that is like, hmm, I'm not quite sure about you, but they always know the right answer. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably all have someone like that in our, <laughs> our life, right? That has given me a show to look up. Yes. <laughs> all right. So Tamara, tell us what you like to do outside of work. Outside of work, I like to read uh, primarily biographies and memoirs. I like to watch my British and Australian mystery shows <laughs> um, and my reality TV shows. Um, I like to shop. And then, of course, I like to spend time with my beautiful granddaughter. Yes. Because so grandchildren are the best thing ever. <laughs> oh that's so awesome well Tamara you have survived our conversation the question connection the whole bit and it was mm -hmm. so much fun chatting with you tonight it's been too much much too long since we've chatted um and Thank so you for me. yeah so excited to have you um I know that Ann um, listed some of your um, contact information in the beginning, but if there's uh, anything else you want to share um, with the rest, with the, with our listeners tonight, um, any other way to get in touch with you, this is your opportunity to do so. Well, like I said, Twitter is where you can always find me. <laughs> so I am at T Amazon Mary Raspberry, R-A-S-B-E-R-R-Y. I also, as I said, I have Instagram, I have a blog, I have a LinkedIn, but if you find me on Twitter, there's links to all the rest of the stuff there. Awesome. How about you, Anne? Well, uh, like Tamara, you can find me on Twitter. It's the place that I am the most. Uh, you can find me at, at Anne Tom 
A-N-N-E-T-O-M-K. You can also find me on LinkedIn. And I do have a blog. Um, I haven't written in a minute, but I'm hoping yeah. now in 2019 <laughs> to, uh, to, to do something with it. So you can find my HR blog at uh, hrunderground.wordpress. And I also have a personal blog, um, The Road Less Peddled, also at WordPress. And let's see if 2019 can um, bring some content to those. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Yes. Yeah. The, we'll, we'll, let's call 2019 the year of content. For year of content. Us. I need there to do that the as well. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, and for myself, you can find me on Twitter. I am Wendell93. Um, uh, you know, big hugs to, to Tamara and Anne because that's where we met and that's where we yeah. developed our friendship. So um, please find all three of us there. Um, you can find links to my other social media um, and to my, my blog there as well. But Tamara, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And thank you for joining me for continuing this adventure into 2019. And thank you listeners. Um, we hope that you enjoyed our conversation tonight and uh, hope we'll see you again in February. And you all have a wonderful 2019. We'll see ya.